them out of the ocean and grew legs and they started walking and the apes climbed down from the trees and all right crypto land another fast-paced week has ended my name is phil this is the fun with crypto podcast we are in season two and this is episode eight well, I hope everybody enjoyed the uh, the interview that uh, that we did with Hodlnot. In this episode, we are going to be doing another great interview, talking with a gentleman by the name of Brandon Quidham. He's written some really interesting Medium articles, and I got introduced to his work. I, you know what? I had actually seen some of his work um, on, on Twitter. People had uh, reposted some of it, and I had started reading it here and there. But I never really actually finished reading it until I got into the Bitcoin reading group, and that was one of our assigned readings. So I was totally blown away by these two particular articles. Bitcoin is a decentralized organism, and Bitcoin is a social creature. The analogies that he makes with Bitcoin in terms of the analogies with fungus and how it spreads and how it communicates and... Um, how fault tolerant it is, how resistant it is, and how it adapts at the same time. So resistant to destruction, but also adapting to the chaos. So it's very, very interesting, the, um, the conclusions that he draws and just the parallels that he makes. And I, of course, had to go and bug him for an interview. And lucky for me, um, he agreed. So without further ado... Here is my interview slash discussion with Brandon Quidham. Hello. Oh. Hey, hey, Brandon. All right. How are you doing, Cornicarus? I'm good. How about you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, to be on my podcast and uh, you know to uh, to talk about these these really cool articles. I know that you've written other stuff, and I I do plan on getting to it, um, but the uh, the the topic that I wanted to uh, to stick on to was these these two really cool articles that you wrote um, about essentially the the analogy I, I guess I, I would say the the analogy between Bitcoin its environment and its its being and essentially the the fungus the the realm of fungi. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Cool. And um, I mean, be uh, you know, before we uh, before we dig into that, even though that's I'm just super excited to be able to talk to you about this. I, I do want to know a little bit, though, about uh, if, if it's OK about your background, you know, like how did you get into Bitcoin and and, and all that good stuff, you know, all the exciting stuff gets you to tumble <laughs> down the rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Absolutely. Uh, and so I guess for my origin story, it took me about three solid run ins before I actually acted on it. And I think that's common with most people, but there were very different points in my life. So the first was uh, in 2012, maybe 2011, somewhere around there. I was working at Oracle selling ERP software, and I heard about Bitcoin as it related to the Silk Road. And I thought, thought wow, cool. I can't believe you can do that. Uh, but I didn't really think of it as anything more than getting around uh, regulations. And then I ran into Bitcoin again in 2014, uh, right after I left outside corporate America. I was uh, backpacking through Asia for a year with my fiance. And I ran into it in Bali at a Bitcoin meetup there. Again, I thought it was super cool and much more interesting, as it was explained, but not really the right time in my life. And then the third time was in 2017, and I was sort of... 
uh, wrapping up a previous business I was running, looking for something new to sink my teeth into, and all of a sudden Bitcoin lands in my lap, and <laughs> I pretty much dropped everything for a few months. You know, similar story to many people. Uh, you know, ten. 10 to 20 hours a day studying for months, neglecting all other aspects of my life. <laughs> and, you know, after a couple of months, I sort of emerged and realized this is exactly what I want to spend my time on. And it took a while. You know, I went through the full cycle of from Bitcoin is cool to let's blockchain everything and slowly worked my way back to, okay, there's actually something special about Bitcoin. And once I came to that conclusion, I, I sort of um, decided that I want to focus on Bitcoin at least with 80 or 90 percent of my time, and I still keep an eye on other things. But you know, I was hooked once I found out um, how interesting Bitcoin really was, and you know, I was drawn to Bitcoin as a better money, and also uh, some of the libertarian ideals, disintermediating, uh, disintermediating governments, um, you know, removing their their monopoly on violence and seniorage, all those type of things. And, you know, I also like I like it from so many angles, so it's really hard to say. But, um, yeah, now I'm just trying to support the ecosystem, whether it's trying to explain it in new ways or some sort of education model, marketing, you know, building tools. And so, yeah, spending all my time here pretty much. Oh, that's that, that's amazing. That is really, really awesome. Um, have you uh, have you gotten into lightning yet? Uh Unfortunately, no. So I keep an eye on it, and I was actually uh, giving presentations on it in Bali this last year at some of the meetups, but I haven't played around with it myself, and, you know, I'm not very technical to start with, but, you know, I know I could figure it out. I just I just haven't haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet. I sort of got jealous with the, <laughs> the pass the torch thing oh, yeah. recently. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I actually got to partake in that, and... Uh... I uh, what was I number twenty seven I think in the uh, in the chain, um, but uh, Hodlnot is uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, people on Twitter and uh, I consider him one of my friends. So uh, it was it was it definitely was fun and I remember when he first first started that it it was it was just pretty funny you know like we were just like you know because obviously he just threw it out there and I'm I'm watching as people do it and I'm like. All right, you know what? I don't really get to play much with the nodes. Let's let's do this, you know. So, <laughs> so that was definitely fun. For sure, I think it's going to go down in history. You know, five, ten years from now, I think we'll look back and I think it will be more meaningful than we even realized. I, I think so too. I, I think uh, you know, to your point, I mean, it it just goes to show how you know a lot of people. I do see you know some some people say you know that there isn't any community and this is all you know this is about sound money and this and that. But I, I think this kind of touches on one of the points in your article, and I don't want to dig too deep because I do want to. I want to stick, you know, to you know, to you getting to that part when it's right. But it does kind of touch on the social the social contract uh, of Bitcoin and how it's yes, it is sound money, but it's sound money is weaved into the social contract. So, anyways, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess uh, uh, you know what? Maybe we should uh, maybe we sh we could get started and uh, take a look at at uh, these two articles uh, specifically. So the first one is Bitcoin is a decentralized organism. And the second one is Bitcoin is a social creature. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I took out a bunch of quotes from these two articles that uh, that I really liked, but I, I have to ask you, um, what, what got you to, you know, 
what was the thinker behind the thought on this? Because it's it's really beautiful that you put these two together and that you were able to express it, um, that you were able to articulate it very clearly and, and easy to understand. Sure, sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so the thinker behind the thought, I like that phrase. Um, let's see. So I guess I, I was just trying to really understand and answer the question, what is Bitcoin? And it's it's something that people respond in so many different ways. And um, for me, I guess I had a I have a background in sort of amateur mycology, which is just the study of fungi. And you know, I do a lot of foraging, walking around in the woods, finding different types of mushrooms, um, hosting dinner parties where we forage the food and then we come home and cook it. And you know, certain people like Paul Stamets have really inspired me and. Um, you know, sort of understanding that a mushroom or, or uh, more specifically the mycelium, which is the, the main form of a fungi, has a lot of parallels with our modern internet, and they sort of are the trust layer or the fabric that holds all of nature together. And it sort of hit me actually about halfway through, or maybe the first or second quarter of 2018, again, I was in Bali, and it hit me there, and um, you know, it all started to make sense. And I went home that night and I just journaled like crazy. I pretty much wrote that article um, that everyone saw now, that moment in the journal. And the, I, the analogy just kept going deeper and deeper. And then I decided, you know, I, I sat on it for months because my my perception of the Bitcoin community was not going to be, that, that they weren't going to be very open to such a wacky analogy. <laughs> and <laughs> I started to see a few more articles uh, along the lines, and it, it was ultimately Dan Held's series, uh, Planting Bitcoin, where he looks at the Genesis story and uses the analogy of, of a plant for that. And once I saw that and how it got some popularity, I sort of got the confidence to say, okay, I'm going to put this weird thing out there and sort of see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I had Dan edit it for me, and you know, he had some positive things to say, and all of a sudden it went out. And you know, I, I've never been a part of something that I created going viral. And so that was pretty fun um, watching that. And for me, it was a really optimistic moment because it expanded the Bitcoin universe. And all of a sudden, people with all kinds of weird backgrounds were reaching out and, and sending me messages and how it resonated with them and how their mom finally understood Bitcoin. And I got so much more back um, from that article that has allowed me to continue studying. And so, yeah, I'm really thankful for how that played out. That is absolutely beautiful. I, I mean, seriously, that is something really, really incredible. And the fact that people were able to, you know, you know, come back to you and share how it made it possible for them to explain, you know, Bitcoin and the and the Bitcoin ecosystem to, you know, to their family members. Because I have to be honest, in my case, um, you know, my father is not a very big believer in Bitcoin, uh, just based on, you know, ridiculous things like what happened with the, uh, you know, with the Quadriga exchange. You know, so they it's it's interesting that, you know, no matter sometimes you just have to reach a person in the right way. And because I think you explained it through nature, it was able to touch more people um, than, let's say, explaining it technically or explaining it, you know, uh, with analogies using the Internet. So I, I think that that's really, really incredible. Yeah, I think you touched on something important there which is that uh, using the analogy of nature, because we are a part of nature. 
humans like to think we're this clever monkey and we're outside of nature and we can wave our magic wands like a god. And to some extent, that's absolutely true. But on the other extent, we're just monkeys. We're clever monkeys with cool culture. And using the nature analogy, something internal in us, we grok that right away. It's sort of an intuition thing when you come across it and you just, it all makes sense in a way. And so, yeah. Oh, I, I, to- I, I totally agree yeah, about the, uh, the clever monkey. That, that, is, <laughs> that is fantastic. I completely agree with that. Um, <laughs> some of the, uh, okay, so I got some quotes here that you got that, at, at least that you wrote that were really, um, that were really fantastic. Um, here, when seen in the context of this long history of the decentralized network archetype, the advent of decentralized digital money seems less novel and more inevitable. And you actually wrote that to me um, when, uh, when when I first approached you to do this interview. And actually what I was doing was, was that I was reading through your article and I was pasting all the things that I found really interesting. And it, it came from a comment that after reading that, that first article, it, it seemed that, that Bitcoin had no choice but to exist. <laughs> so it, it seems that everything we've done culminated in, in this existence having no choice but to be here. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, can't, I don't think that point can be overstated. And, you know, it, it comes back to the fact that nature is intelligent. And whether we call it a god or just nature, it doesn't really matter. I think we're describing the same thing. And over time, nature has all these iterations and eventually it stumbles upon, uh, you know, a good architecture or a good strategy that, that stands the test of time. And mycelium has been around for 1.3 billion years. And so when you look at that compared to humans, we're a very, we're a relatively young species. You know, we're, we're kind of an adolescent that's lashing out against her parents. And I would say that's kind of how we show up on our planet. But when you look at something like mycelium or just the general archetype of a decentralized intelligence, that archetypes weave through the fabric all throughout life. You know, dark matter is like that. Our neurons are like that. Um, in a more recent context, the Internet's like that. And so, you know, when you when you follow it like that and you zoom out a little bit, like I mentioned and like you just mentioned, it is sort of inevitable that we sort of come online with an information network archetype with the Internet. And now we have this value Internet like people like to s- describe. And, and I totally agree with that. It's it's inevitable. And I think it's an important part of our species and part three, which I know you were curious about, which we can touch on later, but it kind of addresses the point of what if we need a technology like this in order to survive as a species long term? And I don't want to jump the gun here, but um, <laughs> that's juicy. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right, I'm I'm super psyched for that. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that, um, and and I, I will I'll bug you about it after. But sure. um, the uh, there was actually. Um, there was something else here that that I also found. Okay, so there was something I found really interesting that in the second article. I mean, I'm I'm just jumping back and forth, but I can't help it because they're all kind of. I, I feel like it's all just one giant article, right? And so definitely. So um, I'm gonna jump to the second one. Uh, Bitcoin is a social creature, and in this one, you explain something super interesting about the hype cycles. And okay, 
I, I don't know. I mean, I know you wrote them a while ago, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to put you on the spot, like to, to try <laughs> to explain it, but I, I'm going to read a part of it. Okay. Um, sure. After the mushroom is fully mature, it crescendos with the release of millions of spores before quickly decomposing back into the ground. The mushroom only lives for a few triumphant days and most spores perish before infancy. However, a small percentage of the spores will travel nearby and form new fungal colonies these new colonies might stay underground for several years before the reproductive cycle continues, continues again. To the casual observer, most of Bitcoin's life is boring. Months go by with relatively little action. Then, when conditions are just right, Bitcoin explodes into life, growing massively in size and hijacking the consciousness of observers. Price goes to the moon, media is flooded with hyperbole, and DMs from normies flood in. Then, almost as soon as it crescendos, Bitcoin fades away, dying back into obscurity as casual participants write it off as a fad, hype, or a failed experiment. Like the mushroom spores, most new users exit the ecosystem. However, a small percentage form new colonies in Bitcoin land. These bear market survivors become new hodlers of last resort. Okay, so <laughs> that that is incredible, number one. Like the fact that you were able to to put that into writing and to be able to express it that easily is really, really nice. And it really does make you think because in the 2017, so I, I was part of Bitcoin before the 2017 hype cycle, but I was after the, was it 2015 hype cycle? So like I was kind of in between. And so I, I watched it go up and, and essentially everybody just gets focused on price like you mentioned and everybody just gets sucked into this like this vacuum of bad information. At least that's how I feel, okay? And I and I totally tumbled down the uh the shitcoin rabbit hole and I bought a whole bunch of garbage, okay? Because <laughs> because you're sitting there and you're looking at the price of Bitcoin go to the moon and you're like there's got to be the next Bitcoin out there. And then you, you sit there and you start to think, I can find it. So you start to look and, of course, you buy all this garbage. And as you buy all this garbage, if you're smart, um, which you haven't been because you bought all this garbage, but if you are smart, you're, you're going to start to, like, research more on Bitcoin. And, and, and as you do that, you're going to start to realize that those are, those are shit coins. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> And then it just, it, it all kind of sways back. And anyways, the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that I watched that hype cycle go to the moon and then come down. And as it came down, um, I, I went from just being a simple trader to much more of like a, a researcher and much more into, you know, wanting to know Bitcoin more intimately. And as a result, you know, here we are today having this conversation and I have to say, you're you know, your analysis is absolutely spot on. And it's just, it's incredible to see the amount of development that's going on right now in the Bitcoin ecosystem. When, when we were pumping, none of this innovation was going on. All was going on was arguing. So it's very interesting that now there's, there's really no pumping. Everything is seemingly, you know, when it comes to the price down in the dumps. And, you know, like you mentioned, you know, it all, everything just kind of scatters and gets quiet. But yet it's not quiet. It's it's building new formations for the for the for, you know, for that next, you know, for that next maturing of the uh, I guess, I don't know, the of the spores. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I guess, Thanks for sharing that. <laughs> I guess we're the spores. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that analogy, you know, I think I might have wrote written it out in a, in a nice, easy to understand way, which probably took me a while. But the concept, actually, if you understand how fungi work, 
it, as soon as I thought about it, it was probably the most obvious part of this entire series. And yeah, I, I guess I just got lucky with sort of the background knowledge that I had on, on that uh, particular subject. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's incredibly interesting. And if, if Bitcoiners are curious, which most of them seem to be, I definitely encourage you to just pursue learning about fungi. There's so many parallels. They're so incredibly interesting. And yeah, humans have been obsessed with them since the beginning of time, shown through cave art and through religious ceremonies. And I touched on a lot of that in part two of the series as well, even though it doesn't have necessarily a direct correlation with Bitcoin. Um, I find that interesting. And one other point I wanted to make is when you talk about how um, you sort of started, you know, you get excited about the price, you get hyped up, we're trading, doing all these things. And then most people leave, but the people who stay end up sticking around and going deeper. And that's definitely the path for Bitcoin to grow is uh, humans are motivated by greed and the price goes up. Everyone talks about it, et cetera. And we FOMO in. But a percentage of those people stay. And I think that's going to continue in, in terms of Bitcoin's growth for the next several years, maybe decades, where we see these hype bubbles grow and contract. And I don't think there's another way for this to happen. You know, it's sort of a, a consciousness shift in terms of uh, humans accepting the fact that, number one, we don't really know what money is and most people. And, and number two, that money doesn't have to come from our government. And so it, as soon as you internalize those th two things, you can start to think and be like, wow, this is much bigger than I thought. And so, yeah, that stuff's exciting. I, I totally agree. I completely agree that that's the other part of it, right? The, the idea that, you know, that money doesn't have to come from the government. You know, I, I think that people are really missing the, the, the beautiful idea of a global reserve currency that everybody can take a part in. So again, going back to your, you know, going back to the, the mycelium, you know, where essentially every point in the chain is helping feed the greater good. And it's like a, a positive feedback loop. You know, and, and, and by doing that, it's it's able to defend its territory, its current territory, but also be able to take on new territory because it's able to, you know, it, it's like it spans out and then it sucks back in and then it kind of leaves a little bit of an outer layer, you know, some extra people that all of a sudden learn more and become, you know, become, I guess you'd say stronger. And then after that, it, it's its core has now enlarged so it's it's very interesting i i'm totally uh i am totally uh impressed with the the articles that you wrote and um i also just want to mention here you you mentioned specifically here you said while the mushroom has died the recent hype cycle in brackets the mycelium bitcoin in brackets is thriving underground and and that's exactly where we are right now so i i have to now i gotta ask you about part three where you take or where do you plan on taking us <laughs> <laughs> for sure oh man i get i get this question so much and I'm, I'm glad i get the question because it does pressure me to get this thing published but the, on, the honest truth is that it's pretty intimidating and i'll try and walk you through my thinking here so it's loosely titled bitcoin is a catalyst for human evolution and <laughs> that title alone is is maybe reaching too big or too far, but um, I, essentially where I'm at is I want to wait until I have something really meaningful to say and it's a bit more focused. And I think I need to do a little bit more research and just try to figure out what the message is that I want to send here. 
But essentially where I'm at is I want to look at the implications of how a new money, a new sound money, could improve social scalability. And so let's assume Bitcoin is that and it does achieve the, the hyper-Bitcoinization or whatever we want to call it, some large amount or meaningful amount of adoption. And so what are the, the implications? And I want to stay on the biology and, and the fungi analogy as much as I can. And so I'm, I'm considering using a trophic cascade effect, which um, in case anyone's not familiar what that is, it's essentially looking at, um, I'll use an analogy with Yellowstone. So a while ago, they removed all the wolves out of Yellowstone, which were the apex predator. And they removed the wolves because they didn't want people to lose their animals or they didn't want hikers to get eaten by a wolf or something like that. So they just took out the apex predator of the ecosystem. And huh. we did that and we thought that would be okay, but <laughs> it wasn't okay. And so it didn't really show up to us right away, but there's a there's a cascade where the highest apex predator has an important role to fill in order for the entire circular ecosystem to survive. And so we have a really cool case study because once the wolf was introduced back into Yellowstone, we have this effect, and I'll try to explain it from a high level. So um, the wolves eat the ungulates, like let's say elk or deer, and if the wolf's not there, what happens is the ungulates eat the grass too much. And what they do is they wreck an ecosystem, and they become overpopulated and sick, and that's a problem. So you bring back the wolves, they start thinning out the herds of the ungulates, which then prevents overfeeding on the prairies and the grassland, so the prairies are restored. And that enables the, the shrubs to grow bigger, and, and that brings the trees, which brings the birds, and all of a sudden, the beavers come back to chop down the trees, to live in their river homes, etc. And what we actually found is that this cascade effect, it actually moves, it moved the rivers in Yellowstone. And it shows intimately how all this stuff is connected. And so I want to use that sort of analogy and compare that to how governments have been neutering the apex predators of money. And so you can see this in examples of demonetizing gold or um, forcing their citizens to use a certain currency, things like that. And so, yeah, it's essentially looking at the long-term consequences here of what a sound money system could have in our modern life. And, you know, it, it just gets so big because we're at a point where we almost evolve or die. That's kind of how I see our, our species right now. And another analogy I want to look at is uh, the great filter. And the great filter is a theory uh, essentially trying to answer the question of why haven't we found intelligent life on our, on our inner universe? And so if there's a infinite number of planets and, and solar systems, then why wouldn't we have found intelligent life yet? And so the great filter is a theory that says throughout evolution, let's say you get to a certain point, but then a species has a really hard time going from point A to point B. For example, what if it's leaving our solar system, right? And so there's, let's say there's millions of intelligent life forms, but they can never create an energy system to leave their solar system. Then they all sort of die out at that great filter. And so I'm trying to look at Bitcoin in that same way. And, and is that a possible catalyst to get through the great filter or if that even relates in this case? That is absolutely incredible. Seriously, I, I, no joke. I am super, super excited. Both of those analogies are super interesting. I, it, the fact that they would take out the apex predator, like that's, I mean, obviously that that's interesting. But I, I, I think that you make, you know, obviously again a great point 
where you know it, you, we've done the same thing with money and look at what we've done we've essentially allowed the proliferation of absolute garbage and lower quality lower quality lives you know like that's that that that's what it's helped us introduce you know like it's if you take a look right you, you, we just spend more and more time you know working the way i always look at it right is is a is a is a wheel and essentially we have more and more things just you know requiring what that wheel produces but the thing is is that that wheel isn't producing anymore and that that's what happens when you end up in an inflationary system where you can't afford you just can't afford to live you can't afford to live a quality life like people aren't living they're they're just doing i think in you know for the most part so i i believe that you know something like bitcoin you know to your point reintroducing the apex predator back into the ecosystem may help balance that out and help you know actually help people live the lives that they would maybe like to live you know having again it's it's that time it, it actually all it all intertwines right with time preference so mm-hmm. you know again you know we're we're talking about that it's it's it all it all kind of meshes together so i i'm super excited and and no pressure of course no pressure on coming up with that <laughs> article but uh, do you have do you have any ballpark idea of do you think we're going to see that in 2019 or Oh yeah, yeah. Def- <laughs> definitely this year. It's more just when I commit to sitting down and getting it done. Um, I love writing. I find it to be really, uh, really useful and sort of a nice way to create leverage. But it's also really painful, and you know, it forces myself to eliminate great paragraphs that I thought were good. And a friend looks at it and they're like, "No, you got to get rid of this." Or um, yeah, it sort of forces you to distill information down into its most useful form, and so. Yeah, I'm just making excuses here. I need to write it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope, you know what? I, I hope, if anything, we kind of, you know, helped a, a little bit more spark the flame, you know, to it, that that's already, there's already a fire going, but maybe we helped, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, let me ask you this. Do you have any, uh, do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to add? Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess my DMs are open on Twitter. Come find me there. It's at bquidum. B Q U I T T E M. And I love talking about this stuff. And so, you know, if you want to reach out, please do. Um, I have a few more articles that are half written as well. Uh, I'm trying to stick to the biology or at least something related for analogies. I'm sort of finding a little groove there. And I would ask that if anyone else has some domain expertise that they think is outside of the realm of Bitcoin, for example, fungi, maybe explore overlapping those two and see if there's any common ground because I think a lot of the stuff's connected and the more analogies we have, you know, we have a chance to bring in new people to the system. And I think we sort of get caught in our little echo chamber here where we just create content for each other, and I'm definitely guilty of this. But in order to really make a dent, I think it's important that we reach out of our ecosystem, and that might mean writing content that doesn't necessarily apply to you know, the thought leaders in the space, but it might be more important in the long run. So that'd be my encouragement. I, I think your work is incredibly important to the space, and I, I know that the people that I talk to and the circles that I'm in absolutely agree. Um, I, I would definitely love to have you back on uh, at, uh, you know, at a later time. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to at least post a link to your, um, to your medium so people can go and check out all the articles that you've written. So we can do that. Um, Great. Appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, if there's nothing else, uh, 
thank you again so much for for taking the time thank you for you know for explaining everything and and just you know really i i really do appreciate your your writing and i, I think it's awesome i appreciate it cornicarus uh great conversation and i would happy to be on in the future thank you so much brandon bye thank you bye-bye i hope you enjoyed our, our interview discussion with brandon quidham i'm going to post links to uh, to his medium profile and his Twitter handle. And of course, I can always be reached on Twitter and Telegram at Coinicarus. My email is proton is uh, funwithcrypto at protonmail.com. And I also have a Discord channel, which is in the show notes. Catch you all next time. Mm-hmm.